1: It's been 3326 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 407 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain there is a significant chance of a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 6th and April 14th due to current activity by the VKS and Black Sea Fleet and the upcoming religious holidays of Catholic Easter and Orthodox Easter. Second, our assessment that Russian white nationalism, connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit, would fuel religious and racial tension that could spill over into internally-directed terrorism, was accurate. Third, we assess that due to the failed winter offensive, spreading internal unrest which has led to acts of terrorism, and an inability to alter the Western perception of Ukraine, the Kremlin has returned to using threats of nuclear proliferation and war. Fourth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat-ineffective and beyond Bakhmut are only capable of point and localized attacks. Fifth, we maintain that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, with Ukrainian forces completing a retrograde maneuver to what is likely the last strong defensive line in the city. Sixth, Our assessment that, short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut regardless of the cost, is unchanged. Seventh, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank-guided missiles, or ATGMs, which is being made worse by offensive operations in Bakhmut. Eighth, the risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid remains as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, targets Ukraine's power industry. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively interfering with the governments of Moldova and Georgia to derail the European Union membership accession process and destabilize their current governments. One year ago yesterday, on April 5, 2022, there was little information or change, with Russian forces entering an operational pause after their withdrawal from Kyiv, Chernihiv, and areas of Kharkiv, and completing their withdrawal from Sumy. Intense fighting continued in Mariupol, near Severodonetsk, Popazna, and Rubizhne. Let's get some regional updates, and since we didn't on Monday, take a look at both belligerents' objectives, starting with Kharkiv. The Russian objective is to hold current defensive lines, prevent a Ukrainian advance, and terrorize Ukrainian civilians near the line of conflict. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the northeastern corner of the oblast, hold defensive lines in the Kupiansk operational area, and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. In the Dvorichna operational area, a Ukrainian source reported fighting near Hryanikivka, and the Russian MOD reported fighting among DRG units near Masyutivka and Pershotravneve. Moving on to the Donbas region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to recapture the remainder of the oblast and control the insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Satova, Kremina, and Lysychansk and support insurgents. It continued to be active in the Svatova operational area, with Russian forces reporting fighting among squad-sized units in Novoselivsk and a Ukrainian source reporting ongoing fighting in Kuzemivka. So despite mentioning two settlements, both reports are accurate. The line of conflict near the railroad station on the P-7 highway divides the two villages. The Russian MOD reported fighting among squad-sized units in the area of Andriyivka, with no change in the situation. In the Kremina operational area, Russian forces rely more on artillery and two TOS-1 Thermobaric Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS, they've brought into the area than ground attacks. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported another failed attack in the direction of Makievka. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and Russian MOD reported fighting in the direction of Nevsky, with Wargonzo claiming the Russian attack was unsuccessful. Fighting continued south of Kremina in the forests and tree lines, with some additional clarity on the line of conflict. We compressed the gray area, giving Ukraine more firm territorial control in the direction of the Seversky Donetsk floodplain. Ukrainian sources reported fighting was contained to the forest south of Kremina, while Warganzo reported fighting continued in the west, with a failed attempt to advance toward Terny. The Russian MOD reported fighting in the area of Dibrova, with no change in the situation. The GSAFU and Warganzo also reported fighting in the Serebriansky woods, but it was unclear if this was closer to Shiplivka and the Seversky Donets River or duplicating reports of fighting to the south of Kremina. In the Popozna operational direction, the Russian MOD reported that a Ukrainian DRG unit near Rozovka, 13 kilometers behind the known line of conflict, was discovered and attacked. We cannot, however, independently verify the report. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination reported that two rockets fired by HIMARS struck Rubizhne. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture Bakhmut, set conditions to attack Kramatorsk, Slovyansk, and Siversk, and capture the entire region. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Siversk and Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. In the Seversk operational area, limited fighting south of Spirna in a disputed tree line with shallow trenches continued. There was no change to the situation. Talking about the Bakhmut operational area, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky indicated that there were ammunition shortages, saying, The situation is very difficult there, and every day there is this fluctuation. Now there are enough projectiles, and now there is a deficit of them. It happens daily. We may have success in some areas of Bakhmut and advance, and then we have no success and return to our positions. But we are in Bakhmut, and the Russians do not control it. Such is the current situation. General Siersky is responsible for the operational situation. Undoubtedly, both for him and for me, the most important thing is not to lose personnel. It goes without saying that if the situation gets worse and there will be a threat of losing our personnel due to encirclement, the general will act accordingly. End quote. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik, Igor Strelkov-Girkin, provided his assessment of the situation in Bakhmut, saying, quote, In Bakhmut, the enemy, he means Ukraine, has been driven out of the administrative center of the city but continues to hold the western city blocks as well as the Bakhmut 1 and Bakhmut 2 railway stations. Yevgeny Prigozhin's statements about the fact that Artemovsk, he means Bakhmut, has been legally taken, made on the basis of the nightly hanging of the flag on the city administration, so far resemble the statements of the Third Reich propaganda that Stalingrad has been taken, the Russians hold only a few points near the Volga itself. It is clear that they, BMC Wagner, will squeeze, but will Wagner and the volunteer units deployed there have enough forces to continue the meat grinder, or will the situation freeze, as in Marinka? End quote. PMC-Wagner and Russian VDV units shifted their attacks, attempting to advance on Bohdanivka and Khramova without success. In Bakhmut, we adjusted the line of conflict, moving it east based on multiple Russian reports. PMC-Wagner didn't release any pictures or videos at Railroad Station 1, despite the capture claim. Gierkin's assessment that the train station is still under Ukrainian control has significant weight. We moved a line to the east about the length of a New York City block. Russian sources reported that Ukrainian forces still hold the SK Metallurgical Stadium, the Hotel Bakhmut, the Hotel Atlantic, and the Avanharth Stadium. Based on these reports, we moved the line of conflict east to Sadova Street and south to Mariupolska Street. PMC Wagner had no success in the north or along Korsunskoho Street in the southwest part of Bakhmut. Some assessment. We stand by our April 3rd assessment that Ukrainian forces exercised a retrograde operation based on the available information that the train station, Hotel Bakhmut, and the SK Metallurgical Stadium were under Russian control. Ukrainian forces maintain critical strong points at the two stadiums, Railroad Station 1, the prison, and the hotels. There's no need to withdraw if these defensive areas remain under Ukrainian control. In our assessment, if either stadium is captured, we would expect a retrograde operation to the train tracks in the central part of Bakhmut. PMC Wagner and Russian VDV forces continued attacks on Ivanivsky, which remained
0: unsuccessful. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malkontent News. In southwest Donetsk, the
1: Russian objective is to capture Velika Novosilka, Bukhledar, Marinka, and Avdiivka, set conditions to capture the rest of the oblast and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. In the Avdiivka operational area, FSB Colonel Gyrkin wrote that the Russian, quote, "...offensive bogged down," Territorial gains are insignificant and do not justify the heavy losses incurred. The front has been going on in residential areas for almost a year now, walking back and forth. Morganzo reported that Russian forces had stopped attempts to advance on Keramik after repeated failures. So they can learn. The 1st Army Corps, however, continued attempts to advance on Novo Kalinove and continued to be unsuccessful. Russian troops continued to advance on Avdiivka with no reports of what direction they were advancing from. South of Avdiivka, the 1st Army Corps continued attempts to advance on Syevrne without any success. Fighting in the eastern part of Pervomaiske from Piski also continued, with no significant change to the situation. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka and fighting continued along Druzhby Avenue in the ruins of Marenka. There were multiple Russian reports that the 1st Army Corps retreated from their forward positions east of Pobida and abandoned their attempts to secure the pig farms. Based on the reports, we moved the line of conflict east and contracted the gray zone away from the farm. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces have moved to a defensive posture in the Vukhladar operational area, the Russian MOD reported light fighting between squad-sized units near Volodymyrivka and Mchilskye. The Russian MOD also reported light fighting near Myrna, without specifying which one. There are eight of them. <music> Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent a Ukrainian offensive into Zaporizhia and integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. Orgonzo reported that Russian forces launched an offensive in the Huliapola operational area, launching an attack from Dorozhnyanka, advancing on the T-401 highway to Huliapola. Our team's first response on seeing this was that Russian collaborator and occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Rogov was behind the claim, to say we were surprised that Ragov did not mention any fighting in the area was an understatement. Some assessment here. Orgonzo does engage in disinformation, although typically not this overt. We can't identify a second source for the claim though, and if this were accurate, Ragov wouldn't keep quiet about the success. So fake news? Yep, fake news. Insurgents reported that Tokmak, Molochansk, and Mirna the one 10 kilometers north of Melitopol, were hit by rockets fired by HIMARS. At the time of recording, there was no additional information on what was being targeted. Local officials reported that Maxim Zubariev was transferred to Crimea by aircraft after being severely injured by a car bomb. Local doctors did not have the resources to stabilize Zubadiev, and his prognosis is reportedly grim. Rafael Grossi, director general of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, met with Russian officials in the city of Kaliningrad in Russia to hold negotiations concerning the security of the temporarily occupied Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Grossi said he intended to travel to Moscow to discuss the issue further. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported there were 14 vessels of the Black Sea Fleet on patrol, including two frigates and 2 kilo Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to 24-caliber cruise missiles in total. The Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs released a video showing ongoing repairs to the rail section of the Crimea Bridge. The time-lapse video showed three short trains, including two passenger trains, crossing the second span during repairs. As with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. After a quiet period, Russian forces struck the Sumi oblast, firing over 150 artillery rounds, mortars, and rockets on the chromadas of Bilopilia, Krasnopilia, Khotin, Hluchiv, and Seredina Buda. Stunningly, 19 ATGMs—those are anti-tank-guided missiles, right?—which are almost non-existent on the front lines in Donbass— were fired into the Krasnopilia region. Homes, farms, and businesses were damaged in the attack. Oddly enough, no tanks. On the Russian front, ethnic unrest among Muslim minorities is growing. In ziazikov in the Ingushetia region, which borders Chechnya, Georgia, and the North Ossetia Alania Republic, Two OMON officers were killed and six wounded in a counter-terrorism operation against suspected Islamic militants. Roskvardia forces, that would be the Russian National Guard who report directly to Russian President Vladimir Putin, have taken control of the anti-terror operation with additional soldiers arriving in the region. Local officials claim that three militants were killed. A video was circulating on social media of a terrified young woman claiming she was hiding in a basement due to area shelling near Bilgorod. She claimed that the windows in their home had been blown out and a fire was burning in their yard. The video was posted on a social media account with no history of sharing misinformation or disinformation. Russian sources claim the video is from the border town of Novaya Tavolzhanka near Shebikino and that shelling damaged three homes and three cars. Fire erupted in a Russian Ministry of Defense satellite building in Moscow, with officials claiming an electric tea kettle caused it. Apparently, drinking tea in Russia is very dangerous, even when there's no polonium involved. In geopolitical and economic news, former United States Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visited Kyiv including traveling to Bucha. He wrote about his experience on Twitter, saying, quote, I've just left Ukraine. I've seen the damage caused by Putin's invasion. And I've been inspired by the bravery of the Ukrainian people. One thing is clear. Helping Ukraine end this war is in America's core interest. Supporting Ukraine isn't about abstract ideals like global democracy. It's about strengthening our national and economic security. If Putin wins, he'll control critical exports to the U.S., and he'll be on the brink of a broader war in Europe. We can't let that happen. The Ukrainian people have endured indescribable suffering, but they're resilient. They're not asking for American troops, just our support. We should give it to them. End quote. Russia's dependency on China has increased, with the Chinese yuan now the most used foreign currency within the Russian Federation. The ruble dipped to an exchange rate of 81 to 1 U.S. dollar, continuing a trend that started in December when a price cap was placed on Russian natural gas, crude oil, and refined fuels. We had reported that the price cap and the challenges shippers have faced to secure insurance when carrying Russian fossil fuel cargo would create demand destruction for the ruble and depress its value. The decline is occurring despite extraordinary measures to create artificial demand. While there is chatter among cryptocurrency supporters and the concept of Western petrodollars that the U.S. dollar has weakened significantly against the Chinese yuan, the U.S. dollar was in worse shape in 2018 and 2020, and much stronger before 2016. In the 21st century, the ruble peaked during the 2008 global financial crisis, which caused the Great Recession. The shrinking ruble makes it more difficult for the Russian government to purchase materials to support its war effort. Adding to economic decline, Russian President Vladimir Putin told reporters that sanctions will last for a long time and that it will be necessary for the Russian Federation to, quote, develop import substitution, end quote. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates.
0: Until then, stay safe, everyone.